We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is the Sacramento Bees, Chris Biederman. And we are brought to you by Cooper Drewing. You can visit the brewery. That's in Santa Rosa. You can order a case or multiple cases online at cooperagebrewing.com. If you're over 21 and in the state of California, they'll send it right to your door. And getting that doorbell or door knock and walking out and signing for your case of beer that comes cold. Not a lot of better feelings than that. And there's a brand new run of Candlestick Chronicles out right now. So if you've missed the first couple of runs of Candlestick Chronicles Hazy IPA, or if you just want to get more, you can order some right now. You can also, like I said, go visit the brewery in Santa Rosa. Cooper's Brewing. Drink good beer. All right. We have Mike Salk on the show today. He's the host of Brock and Salk with Brock Heward up in Seattle on Seattle Sports Station, 710 AM. One of my favorite people to talk, just talk sports with in general, but uh, really smart, level-headed, locked into the Seahawks. And we had a really good chat about a very surprising Seahawks team. But first, Chris is live from Toronto, so let's get into it. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Dude, you're in the six. How has it been hanging out with Drake? It's been awesome. Um, it's been good you catching up with him. Yeah, yeah me, me and Jersey. I, I haven't seen him for a while. Been a little busy, but um, right. no, it's it's good catching up. No, t- Toronto <laughs> is Toronto's. Like I, I landed, I think at like 10 p.m. local time, and just driving into the city. Like architecturally, the city's like amazing, and my hotel is. I got a view of the the CN Tower. Is so, saying architecturally the city is amazing, like the film guy thing to say about a city? I have no idea, but just like the, there's like a highway that's like through <laughs> downtown, and there are like all these cool buildings that you're just like driving through. Architecturally, um, the city's amazing is like saying like I love what they do with their fronts on second <laughs> down. <laughs> <laughs> Their their bare fronts on on run looks are just amazing. <laughs> no, but I, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna Salk walk around coming up busting out the term bare fronts. Keep going. Okay, so yeah, I'm I'm planning on like uh, walking around all day tomorrow downtown before the Kings play the Raptors, and uh, and checking it out. So I'm looking forward to it, and then I'll I'll be able to get to I'll watch the Niners game on Prime Video from Detroit. Uh, when I get there on Thursday, it's a little, little two city swing for me. So lots of, lots of coats and, and could not fit a microphone in my bag. Hence why I probably sound like garbage on my cell phone right now. Yeah, that's okay. We're, we're working through it. And honestly, I've listened to podcasts that sound worse. So this is going to be fine now. That's a high bar. Yeah. (laughs) I've listened to worse podcasts than this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so is there going to be a lot of social media content coming from the six? I'm not a big like 
I need a social media guy while I'm traveling. I might like update the Instagram story. I'm I'm gonna check out like the aquarium and the tower and maybe some some restaurants and stuff. You can't maybe tout do... a city's architecture and then not post about it on social. Yeah, that's that's probably true. That's probably true. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. We'll see. All right. Let's talk about some football real quick. Yeah. I wouldn't if you had told me in week one or before week one. Hey, in week 15, Geno Smith is going to be quarterbacking the Seahawks and Brock Purdy is going to be quarterbacking the 49ers. I would have given you zero potential outcomes that involved the game being for like the NFC West title. Yeah, That's, more or less. It's crit- Yeah, because the Niners win and they win the division. Uh, if they lose, Seattle is a game back with four to play. That's wild to me. And I still can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, like, it doesn't it's, it, feel like a big game because of that. I'm just very curious to see what it's going to look like because, you know, road games in the NFL are inherently different, just right. like, you know, for, for all the obvious reasons. But a Seattle road game in prime time has always just felt even more different. Mm-hmm. Than, than typical because I mean Seattle's a really like if you've ever been to a game in Seattle the the stadium's right downtown and for prime time it's like everything around like the like Levi Stadium doesn't have any of this because it's in sort of this weird suburbia area mm-hmm. but like with a downtown stadium the entire area surrounding the stadium is bustling for like hours on end so like you have people like getting off work, going to happy hour and then going to the game, which is, that sounds um, like the vibe. I mean, Seattle's a great, great place to go watch a game. Like being able to like on the trips that I've gone there, stay downtown and just walk to the stadium. It's like one of my favorite experiences because you're just walking past all these restaurants, all these bars, like the music's pumping and just the vibes are like, if you're a football person or if you like the NFL, the vibes are just amazing, whether you're, you know, a Niners fan or a Seahawks fan or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a unique atmosphere. Like, you know, there's some good atmospheres in the big 12 where Brock Purdy played a ton of college football games, but he hasn't had an experience starting in, century link or what's lumen field now is that what they call it lumen field yes lumen field of course um <laughs> it's just a really unique place like the you know everybody talks about how loud it is it's obviously very loud um the seahawks are kind of playing with house money in the sense that like you know they're they're the un- they're the home underdogs right and they weren't expected to be this good and so they're just kind of the team that can spoil the 49ers attempt to win the NFC West. And that's, that's a good place to be for a home team. Like that's how a lot of upsets happen. And that's going to create a very interesting atmosphere for Brock Purdy to adjust to, particularly because it's going to be on a short week and it doesn't really sound like he's going to get any practice in because he's got this oblique and rib injury going into it. But aren't the 49ers a little bit playing with house money too? That's the yeah. way I've I've kind of viewed it. And I know their expectations before the season were higher than than Seattle's were much much higher than Seattle's were. But with your third string quarterback, if Brock Purdy falls apart in Seattle and the wheels just kind of come off the Brock Purdy express, it's not like a disaster failure of a year for San Francisco. It's like, "Oh, Brock Purdy came back down to earth. He was the last pick in the draft." Yeah, that's, but vibe, think, that's kind of the vibe I've gotten. Sure, but also like think about you know what what Sunday's game did for just the conversation surrounding the 49ers, right? Like no, you're I right. watched Ryan I watched Ryan Clark on Sports Center today talk about the Niners going to the Super Bowl um even with Brock Purdy at quarterback. Mm-hmm. And like if Brock Purdy throws you know three interceptions on Thursday, what's that conversation like? Right. Like what's how does that shape the expectations? Because obviously the NFL is such a rapid reaction league. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like if if the Niners lose because Brock Purdy has a bad game on Thursday, then all of a sudden it's man, are the Niners really screwed again? Because, you know, for them for them to make a Super Bowl run, they're probably going to have to win a road playoff game. 
more than yeah, likely, right? Yeah. Uh, unless the Eagles get upset and the Niners get the two seed somehow or something. Um, so, you know, like that's it's it's a real test and it's it's going to be very, very telling. Um, but then again, there's also the element of like, do we overreact to a Thursday night game? Because Thursday games are typically just weird and wonky and guys are like still sore and playing. Let, um, let me tell you, without question, let me tell you without question, I will be overreacting. You? I'm just letting you know ahead of time. <laughs> Buddy, you're getting a text first quarter. I, I'd always get text first quarter. Sweeping declarations after six minutes of play. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I can't decide how, like, I struggle with, like, is this a bit or is he really serious? I can't it's, tell. It's, and, uh, it's, it's what it is, is, is overreactions in the moment. And I know they're overreactions because I never carry the takes with me into, like, an actual logical conversation. Right. It's just, I'm just going to be pissed off. And you, you're my outlet. Yeah. It's, it's certainly something like super fun. I'll find someone else to be my outlet. Screw you, dude. (laughs) (laughs) No, for, I mean, for the listeners who, who don't know or what the reference is, is like Kyle will send mess like texts after like the Dolphins game was over after Trent Sherfield's touchdown. Yeah, it was like this is over. Like, what a they don't disaster. have it today. <laughs> it was like okay. they're flat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you said they were flat after two series of the game. And no, then... it was two plays, Chris. It was the touchdown to Sherfield, and then Ray Ray McLeod got lit up on the kickoff return. I was mm. like, oh, they didn't come to play today. Right. Right. Yeah. No, so yeah, it's it's always fun to get those text messages when there's you know 45 minutes of of game time left to play, but um. No, it's an hour left. An hour, yeah, even more. Um, no, but Thursday's game is going to be really fascinating. I think I think you learn more about players and teams in tough road environments than really anything else, mm-hmm. right? Like the that I think that was what made the playoff run for the 49ers last year feel so much different was because they went to Dallas and Green Bay and won those games, right? Right. And, and that's just, that's a, cause you like, if you're hosting a playoff game, you sort of expect like in 2019, like we kind of expected the 49ers to win those games. Right. Not only yeah. were they good, but it was just like, these are home games. But the reason why last year's were so encouraging, a large reason was because they went on the road in hostile environments as the lower seed and then won those games. So like, right. I, I think Thursday can be really telling from that standpoint also. Yeah. I, I think that now, like you said, it's tough because it is a short week, but if like we talked about after the bucks game, like to me, Brock Purdy just kind of lowered what his or raised what his floor was going to be. But I think if we're going to see a game where he just bottoms out, it would be Thursday night. And so that's what, maybe he doesn't play great, but maybe he, if he shines, then I'm in like, it's, it's Brock Purdy country. Let's ride. But, (laughs) (laughs) but if he goes out and is, as long as it's not catastrophic, like he throws five picks, you would understand if there's like a little bit of a regression, just, for all the reasons you laid out, Seattle's such a hard place to play. It's a short week. He's banged up, but if they at least play well, like and and lose, I would be really really encouraged if they at least like played for the most part pretty well. But there's then again, also, if they play well, I think they're going to win. So there's also a strong possibility that Brock Purdy throws the ball 18 times and they run it 45 times, right? Yeah. Seattle can't so, run. Seattle can't defend the run, and Al Woods, their best run-stopping defensive tackle, probably isn't going to play. He hasn't yeah. practiced at all this week. Yeah, I I would think that's going to be Kyle Shanahan's game plan, is to like, all right, we we really just want to play conservative, play to our defense, play to our special teams, which is suddenly good. Like the mm-hmm. Niners' special teams has actually been good recently. Um, so. Yeah, I think I think that'll be part of it, but I'm also curious to see cuz like we talk about it like we'll see a team be like oh this team, you know, team X doesn't stop the run very well. 
and then they just stopped the run pretty well against the 49ers the the next week. Right, exactly. Like that happens in the league. Like if there's one if there's an area where teams can can pretty dramatically change defensively. And we we talked about this after the Chargers game. Like you can be have more guys in the box. You can have better lane integrity. You can or gap integrity. Excuse nice, me. So sorry to, for all the football guys who were offended that I said lane integrity. Gap integrity. Um, <laughs> lane integrity like, is swimming, you nerd. <laughs> sure. Um, like they, you know, like that can change. Like that can snap back uh, more towards the mean. Like I can't imagine that the Seahawks are going to be as bad on Thursday defending the run as they were against. Carolina but I mean there there's still an opportunity to like sometimes in games too like teams can get broken right like if mm-hmm. they if the Niners get if the Niners say the Niners have like two long scoring drives to open the game and like Christian McCaffrey rips off like 75 yards on the first two car- on the first two drives mm-hmm. like you could potentially like break the Seahawks spirit right. at that point like, you know, defending the run is as much about will as anything else. And, like, if the Niners can break their spirit, then maybe that's a way that you make life easy on Brock Purdy. It's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, if we're just going to be the more physical team and we're going to play to our defense and we're going to win this game 17 to 10 or whatever. You know, like, that that's a possibility, too. Yeah. The, the deal for Brock Purdy, though, is if Seattle comes out and it's just like nine guys in the box, he has to make throws. Like that means there's going to be layups to be had. And if he can hit those and Seattle softens up now, suddenly you can't just stack nine guys in the box and stop the run. Like Kyle Shanahan's eventually going to take over with his game plan, getting, you know, more blockers than you have defenders. And that's, what's going to open up those, those creases for Christian McCaffrey, Jordan Mason, whoever it may be. So, or maybe not Jordan Mason. I don't know. I have no feel for when Jordan Mason is going to play. But, <laughs> but Tevin Coleman, I don't know. But is yeah, this a I, two te- a two touchdown Tevin game? Two TD Tev, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm just as a bit just going to keep picking Jordan Mason in in six. Okay. No, no Jimmy Garoppolo, but we will take Jordan Mason. Come hell or high water. No, I, I just I, I think that's where things are going to get difficult for Brock Purdy is the Seahawks are going to force him to make some throws. And he made them against Tampa Bay. But I mean, Seattle's different team, different coach. Like Pete Carroll's a really good defensive coach. They have a really good young corner in Tariq Woolen. Um, I'm. I think if this goes well, the Niners should kind of move the ball at will. But again, I think the, the Seahawks are going to make Brock Purdy do it. Pete Carroll's always defending Kyle Shanahan's offenses yes. pretty well. Yes. Regardless of personnel. So that, yes. that'll be interesting to see. Like, No matter what Seattle's defense has looked like over the years, it always plays better than well, expected, I, I would say, against the Niners. Yeah, and that's the other thing is is just the other side of the ball the Niners shut the Seahawks out in week two or their, their offense. They scored the special teams touchdown, but um, the Niners shut out their offense in week two. So I'm really interested to see if Seattle's offense has gotten significantly better or if that's just a matchup problem for them. And if, you know, it's going to be like the Niners win because they scored 13 points and Seattle had six which is right. a distinct possibility where the Niners just get bottled up offensively, but Seattle can't move the ball. Right. Which opens up a whole other can of worms in terms of, you know, projecting out for the 49ers. But at that point, if they do win, regardless of how ugly it looks, they're the NFC West champs. And the other weird playoff thing this weekend is if the Niners win and the Bucks lose, the Niners can fall no lower than the three seed. Right which is kind of wild too, considering it's not even Christmas. Right. And then if the Vikings lose two and the Niners win, the Niners are the two seed, which is. Yeah. They'd still have to win their final three games. Well, right. They would move up to the two seed. They wouldn't clinch it, but yeah. Yeah. Lots of playoffs. Um, Are the Seahawks going to wear their green uniforms? 
Couldn't tell you. They're I really electric hope not. green. Yeah, those Was it? are they the worst uniforms in football? They're really bad. Like I get what they're trying to do, I think. But I don't I don't like if them. The, if they did like the green tops maybe with like the blue or like even like the white pants, like the they're if they rock their white road pants with the green tops i would be like okay but like to go full green like they do is just it's just tough man it's a tough look you're in on their gray joints right yeah kind of okay i like them i like them i i like that they're like they wear them on the road and so there's like a clear contrast between like i'm big on contrast like oh, i think dude. the two I think teams need to have contrast. Like the the game against the Chiefs when the Niners wore their throwbacks with the white pants and red tops, and yeah. then the Chiefs wore white tops and red pants. Like that was just like a non-starter for me. Like it was just gross. You need like real contrast. I think. Okay, I've got I've got something even worse for what Seattle's Uh-oh. wearing. Oh no, they're going green tops, blue pants. I mean, I, it's probably better than all green, right? Yeah, I think so. It's just the it's action green is what it's called, which is shit. But whatever. <laughs> it's uh bad. It's just not good. And then with blue socks, so it's green top, blue pants, blue socks. I'm also generally out on socks being socks being the same color as the pants. Right. You're big on socks. You're a big sock guy. Yeah, the fact the Niners don't wear their '80s striped socks is like, right, kind of a a catastrophe in my mind. Yeah, 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 so yeah, green top, blue pants. I'm just out. I don't like the action green. I think there's too much going on with their jersey anyway. But give me blue on blue or the grays or something. The Niners are going with their icy whites, which are are okay. I like, I like, I like the, I like those whites, those white ones. Um. I kind of think, though, they need red socks. Speaking of socks. Because okay. people, pe- people tune into this podcast for uniform takes, right? That's Correct. probably why they're here. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. We just got to give the people what they want. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Uh, what's even better is after this, we have an interview with Mike Salk from Seattle Sports Station, 710 a.m. And at the end of that, we dive deep on the uh, Seattle Mariners and Oakland A's team building. So buckle up. Yeah, let us <laughs> we know. Talk, we talk it... a lot of Seahawks Niners, too. Like, it's not just. Right. No, listeners, let Kyle know if you want us to start an A's podcast. Because we know we know how big of, of a brand the A's are these days. And yeah, um, huge. there's just so much. We're willing to throw our hat in the ring on the the flooded internet space of A's content, so we can. <laughs> if, <laughs> I'm willing to take that on if the if people want. If more it. than four people hit me up about doing an A's podcast, <laughs> I will consider it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, all right. The lots of Las Vegas Aviators talk, obviously. Yeah. Oh, dude, we're gonna make trips down there and covered the games live live pods from the venetian okay i'm gonna get out of here <laughs> yeah please do i will be back so we'll do a six pack just because things are are so weird with injuries and stuff we'll do a six pack on twitter at kyle a madsen and at chris biederman we'll do a six pack on thursday morning and then after the game Thursday, I will do a solo pod and recap that six-pack in case you're not on Twitter to to check that out ahead of time. And then we will be back together at some point next week. I'm There's an outside chance I'll be able to pod with you Thursday night. It'll be late. It will be late. Anyways. We'll figure it out. We'll have pods for you. We'll have a post-game pod for you for sure, so check your feeds. Uh, appreciate everybody for listening. Let's chat with Mike Salk. All right, Mike Salk is here, and it's Niners Seahawks week. And I don't think that before the year, 
I would have anticipated this week 15 game being as massive as it is, especially if you told me Brock Purdy was going to be starting for the 49ers. I would have had nothing for you in terms of this game being huge for the NFC West. Well, and then if you were to add the fact that Geno Smith is on the other side and has played like one of the, until last week, one of the top five quarterbacks in the game this year. I mean, if you took the jersey off and took the names off and didn't know who it was and just, you know, rated them, I'm as shocked as anybody else to say that Geno's been that good. I thought he was going to be a joke. I thought this was going to be an absolute disaster. And here we sit, you know, three quarters of the way through the year, I think this is one of the most surprising long-term sports stories I've ever seen, right? I mean, I don't mean an upset yeah. or, you know, even a series come from, kind of Red Sox coming back from three games right. down. I mean, those happen fairly quickly over the course of this season. I mean, I guess Brady in his rookie year, or maybe, you know, Kurt Warner when he first showed up, but those guys were unknowns. Mm-hmm. They came out of nowhere. This is a guy that didn't come out of nowhere. We knew who Geno Smith was and he was bad and right. now he's good. And it's, it's almost unfathomable unless you've been watching him all the way through. Was it, was it a matter of opportunity and just being on bad teams or is it the offense? Did something just click? What do you think it is? Yes. Okay. Right. I mean, like, <laughs> I think it's above. sort of all of those things at once. And honestly, I'm not sure I really know the answer to that. I mean, I, you know, he's sort of unique in that he's kind of got some elements of being like a young rookie, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he makes some mistakes and he learns from them and all of that, but he's older, right? He's been in the league for a while. He's learned, he backed up, he fought, he's been in this system for a few years, so he's not new to it. And he was a second round pick, right? Who was immature when he first came in and was with a bad organization in New York and then bounced around and never really had a shot. And there is something to the love that Pete gives guys, right? I mean, that's what mm-hmm. makes Pete special is he kind of puts his hand on your back and says, hey, let me let me help you through this. Let's be teammates. And, you know, you combine it with a Shane Waldron, which is basically a Sean McVay offense that seems to fit him a whole lot better than some of the other stuff he's done. And they're finding ways to take advantage of his, his skills, his attributes. Mm-hmm. He's accurate. He is an accurate passer. He mm-hmm. does throw on time. He does have a decent arm. And he's developed a pretty impressive command that he did not have when he was younger. Right. So has he played his way into being the Seahawks starting quarterback next year, yeah. next three years? I, I mean, you know, we were having a conversation. Okay. They signed Gino. This was early in the year. And we were thinking, okay, he's, you know, after all these years, you could get him pretty cheap. I don't think so. I think Gino's making 30 million plus next year. And <laughs> I don't know if it's going, and I know that, that's not the very top of the quarterback market, but it's top 10. Yeah. And he probably at this point is going to get it, whether it's either in Seattle or if he, you know, chooses that he wants to go somewhere else. I think they're going to try to keep him. And and I think honestly, as crazy as this sounds, I think they want to keep Drew Locke too. And if you had told me that before the year, I would have said, you know, these guys are insane. <laughs> but right. after Gino's success, now I'm having difficulty disagreeing and saying, well, geez, maybe they do know something about Drew Locke that I don't know. That would be nuts. Okay, so the Geno Smith thing I'll buy. It, Drew Locke follows him up and does the same thing. Crown Pete Carroll. And Shane well, right, Wilson. and especially as, that'd it be happened, unbelievable. as it as Russell Wilson completely falls apart at the same time. I mean, you know, there's a legitimate case to be made that the only reason Russ was successful is because Pete and his group knew how to use him. Are you enjoying watching Russ fall apart? Uh, what's beyond yes. Um, whatever the, the next element. Yeah. Yes. Because the Seahawks have their pick. I mean, obviously that helps a lot, right? I mean, the idea that this is going to be a top five pick and as of today, number two or three is just, it's insane. It really, it's, it's crazy. Um, and they really need it too. And we can talk about it. They really need that help on the defensive line or at the Mm -hmm. edge, but yeah, I think what we're what I'm enjoying is discovering what really what was really happening here. And when Russ was traded, there was a lot of you know, fire Pete, Pete's wrong, Pete screwed this up, they kept mm-hmm. the wrong guy. And I think learning that that's not the case has been very interesting, right? Fine. And 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 I was a huge Russ supporter for years and years, but over the last couple, it has started to feel as if Russ wanted to do his thing and mm-hmm. wanted to do it his way. And I believe that what he thinks is 
his skill set is not actually what he's good at. He wants sure. to be Drew Brees. He wants to throw for big yards, I think, because he wants to win MVPs and he wants that to help his legacy. And he saw that he couldn't do that playing the game that he was playing here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. The problem is that's what he's best at. He's really good at, I don't want to say handing the ball off like it's a negative thing, but handing the ball sure. off, read option, using his legs, being incredibly accurate, great deep balls, play action. All of these things that Russell does really well are not sit in the pocket and throw the ball 40 times a game. Right. That's not who he is. And I get that he wants to try to prove he can do that, but I think that's the biggest problem they have in Denver. And I'm not surprised that their offense finally scored some points last week when Russ led the team in rushing for the first time. Yeah, I was amazed that that was, it was hard to imagine as somebody on the outside, especially as a, as a, as a person who follows the 49ers, like, it was impossible to fathom the Seahawks getting better sans Russ because he just killed the Niners for a decade. No right. matter how good or bad they were, Russ was going to torch them. But I think he was put in a really good position to do that, Kyle, which makes sense, sure. right? I mean, that's really what a good coach does and what a coach's job is. Put your guys in the best position to succeed. And I think Pete did that very well with Russ. I think they hid some of his flaws. They played towards a lot of his strengths. And Russ thought he had outgrown that. Okay, that's a fair thought. And you get to go make your way in the world and see if you can prove them right or prove yourself right. But unfortunately, at least through year one, the exact opposite has taken place. So it looks like an all-time swindle, at least right now. Maybe he figures it out next year. But right now, it's an all-time swindle. You mentioned that right now it's a top two or three pick, that Broncos pick. And then you mentioned the defense. Is that something that concerns you, even going against a guy like Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant making his second NFL start on the road on a short week. Is Seattle's defense like a major concern here for you? Yes. And for everybody. I mean, you know, over the, in the past, they've struggled in the passing game, right? We've seen that over the course of the last few years. And a lot of guys with Brock Purdy's resume have had good games against them. Mm -hmm. Right. And, 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 and better. I mean, Andy Dalton and, uh, what's his name? Who used to be the backup in Atlanta? Matt Schaub. Matt Schaub had a good game oh, against man. this defense a couple of years ago. It was absurd. Uh, <laughs> and Colt McCoy, and like you name it, all of these sort of. Didn't random... Brett Hundley beat them in Seattle a couple of years ago? Uh, he, I think he did. Yeah, I mean, like that sort of. Yeah, I mean, like that's sort of what they've been right? Mm-hmm. Struggling on the back end. And now this year they seem to have that cleaned up. And I think a lot of that is what this rookie Tariq Woolen has done. I mean, he looks like Richard Sherman 2.0 in a lot of ways, but their rush defense is a disaster, right? I mean, they've given up more than 800 rushing yards in the last four games. It's oh astounding. God. Yeah. I mean, is Carolina just, issue? huh? Is it just a personnel issue? Like they just don't have the horses? I think so. So it's a little confusing, right? And I'm not going to pretend like I'm a scheme guy. I don't know sure. what the hell they're doing in the sure. front seven. But they, for <laughs> after years of doing what Pete called a 4-3 with 3-4 principles, right? they made a switch this year. They brought in guys who were versed in the Vic Fangio system, a 3-4 system, and they said they were going to a 3-4. Okay, well, and they started with that, what they call the bare front, right? Three guys kind of right near the center and guards all heads up. And it was awful. It didn't work. So they made some changes, this, that, and the other. It worked for a little while, and now it's not working again. I don't know whether it's the scheme. I don't know if it's the that they just don't have good enough players up front or if the players they have just aren't well-suited for the scheme that they're playing. Mm-hmm. But it's not working right now. And, right. you know... They've got a couple dudes up there. It looks like Al Woods, who's their best you know, defensive lineman, is not going to play this weekend in all likelihood. Mm-hmm. That's a huge killer. Um, and then the, some of the other guys up front, they're just kind of undersized and not able to do what they need them to. One of the one of the interesting things with, with Seattle this year, not only Geno Smith, but they're relying on rookie. Two, both their starting offensive tackles are rookies. You mentioned Tariq Woolen. Um, Tariq Woolen was one of those players that, like, I don't want to say I made fun of at the draft, but everybody freaked out over this guy's traits. And I'm like, we're still freaking out over traits in a cornerback in 2022. Like, what are we, what are we doing? And then it turns out he's just, he's hella good. <laughs> he's just a really he's, good player. He's unbelievably good. Like it's shocking yeah. how good yeah. he is already <laughs> considering how little he's played the position. He is freakishly fast, tall, yeah. long, seems to have a pretty good understanding for the game. I mean, like, yeah, he's he's the real deal, and it's crazy. They have six guys from this draft class that are all major contributors, Man. and I think he's probably the best of them. 
So that's so so you mentioned six guys. I had I had four written down. I also had Ken Walker, of course. It looks like yeah. he's gonna play. Sounds like it could play. Uh, you know, he practiced. I think he'll play. So is there any because from again, I I watch the Seahawks, I follow, I watch their scores, but I'm not locked in like you are. Yeah. Is there any kind of concern here? Because I see him go down to LA against the shell of the Rams and almost lose. And then they lose at home to Carolina and yep. Sam Darnold last week. And Carolina's playing better under Steve Wilkes. And it's not like an awful loss, but I think Carolina's gonna make the playoffs, by the way. I they think that's might do Tampa Bay is a disaster. Yeah, I, I think Carolina's actually a sneaky, pretty good team all of a sudden, even with yeah. Sam Arnold. Yeah. But yeah, yes, there's concern. It's almost entirely because of this run defense. Okay. It's not so I was my 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 question was are is there is it like rookies hitting a wall? Or is it just kind of is it is there more to it than that? I don't know that we know. Look, I mean, the rookies actually haven't really been the big problem. I and mean, you mentioned sure. two guys, right? Woolen has been great. Uh, Walker got hurt in those last two games. It wasn't really a factor against LA or this past week against Carolina, but he's good. Um, you know, and that left them and it wasn't just him. He got hurt. Rashad Penny's already hurt. DJ Dallas got hurt. I mean, they're on fourth, fifth running backs at that point. So that, you know, is a challenge for any team. These two tackles have been fantastic and have basically handled everything thrown their way, certainly in the passing game. And, and I think in the running game as well, that's not to say they don't make rookie mistakes, but I think they got a couple of good ones in Cross and, and Abe Lucas. I think there's, those guys are going to be bookends here for a long time. And the other two guys are Kobe Bryant, who's their nickel, and he's been good, and he forces his fumbles, et cetera. He's not incredible, but he's a good, solid player as a fourth-round pick right off the bat as a rookie. And Boye Mafe, you know, is a contributor. I don't know that he's that guy yet, second-round pick, edge player, who was always supposed to be sort of raw. That was like mm-hmm. he's a raw athletic guy. And the fact that he's already where he is, I guess, is encouraging. But, you know, jury's out on something like that. But sure. no, it's not the rookies. It's been the veterans that have been problematic. Huh. Okay. That shoots down that theory. Good to know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on Brock Purdy, just as a, as a, as a person in Seattle? I got to tell you, I didn't get to watch much of this past week because they were on opposite right. the Seahawks and I was at the game. I mean, I can give you more general thoughts. I, I thought that Trey Lance was a terrible pick. Okay. And based on what I had seen of him in his limited experience playing, he looked like he was going to be a very bad pro. Now, that may change. Obviously, you know, field struggled early and, and has found a way to kind of get it going. But I thought the Niners should have just drafted fields from the beginning and that that was the direction they should have gone. Instead, of what they did, trading up and all of that, I thought was a total disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Jimmy. I think Jimmy's a decent player and, and I wasn't surprised when he came in and they started playing well again, because I think he's a good fit for what they're trying to do there. And quite frankly, I wanted him here in Seattle this year and I didn't know that Gino was going to turn out to be, you know, better, MVP <laughs> or whatever. but, right. um, but I, but I thought Jimmy would have been a good fit with what the Seahawks wanted to do. You know, if Purdy can just be good enough, right, just find ways to get the ball to the weaponry that they have, Mm -hmm. keep them in the game, keep them close. I've heard that he did more than just manage the game on Sunday, that he made some real throws and showed some accuracy. But, you know, can a seventh round rookie, you know, can he sustain that? John Clayton always used to say a backup quarterback can win you three games, a good, you know, decent backup will win you three games and then he'll lose you three games. Yeah. And so I don't know whether Purdy fits that category, but hell, maybe he's the next Tom Brady and he comes out of nowhere and and he kind of shows you what he's got. Brock was telling me, Brock Heward, my partner, (laughs) that, you know, he had Purdy a couple of times at Iowa State and said, look, he's part of the reason that program turned around. I mean, it was built around him and Brees Hall and, he gave me another name. I'm not a big college football guy. And I, I had never heard of Purdy, obviously, but right. he's like, that's the kind of guy who turns programs around. That's the kind of personality that he has and he's got mm-hmm. a good arm. And so, I mean, I'm certainly not taking him lightly. Yeah, that was, I keep wait Like, so he played really well against Miami. Right. And it was like, okay, that was nice, but he's going against Todd Bowles and the Buccaneers. Here comes a disaster. Like this isn't going to go well. And he goes 16 of 21, a buck 85, he's moving around the pocket. Like there's just like a feel there that like a guy like Trey Lance, who has played a sixth of the games that Brock Purdy played in college. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that feel just isn't, isn't there. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, I'm just like what John Clayton said, he's going to win three and lose it. That's kind of what I feel like is going to happen. At some point. Like, the other, the other shoes got to fall. 
Yeah, probably. Right. I mean, now people said that about Brady for the first four years of his career and it didn't right. happen. And then he became <laughs> right. the greatest of all time. So, I mean, we don't know, but yeah, I mean, usually there's a reason those guys fall into the seventh round, but you know, we've seen some other late round picks, et cetera. Uh, what's it? Uh, Hundley in, uh, in Baltimore. I think oh, yeah. he's a good quarterback. Like, yeah. and he was an undrafted or seventh round guy, something like that. I mean, it does happen, but you know, I think you got to see it for more than a game and a half before we believe it. And then there's just the, there's just the, the availability element of it, right? That guy's played in barely more than one game and he went out with an oblique injury. Mm-hmm. And part of being a starting quarterback in the NFL is playing game after game and, and finding a way to be in there. And if they got to go to Josh Johnson, well, you know, that's a, that's part of who Brock Purdy is at that point. Right. Yeah. Shanahan did say, I don't know if I believe it a hundred percent, but he did say he pulled him because of the score and not because of the oblique. Cause I guess the oblique happened early in the game, but that's what I'm not a hundred percent buying. Yeah. Like there's debt. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> can this is I I tried to figure out a better way to word this but it's like do you think Pete Carroll still got it in terms of being able to coach around his personnel and pull out a win on Thursday night it sure seems like he does I mean he's not perfect Pete's never been perfect Mm -hmm. and there are always some head scratchers in the middle of games but I think what Pete has done well in his career that he doesn't get credit for, first of all, his big strength is building culture and building an environment that is conducive to winning. Mm -hmm. And he's done that here for over a decade. Secondly, I think he's generally pretty good at trying to use the personnel he's got and put them in the best position to win. And it's funny because he gets such a reputation as being old and stodgy and he won't adapt. I think actually Pete's very adaptable. And, Mm -hmm. you know, before Russ came in, He'd never run a read option in his life. He'd never run read option. They mm-hmm. they got this player. They saw what he was capable of doing a specific type of thing and said, all right, let's go. Let's adapt. Let's right. go do that. And this idea that Pete wouldn't adapt because he didn't want to run, you know, the run and shoot basically in, in, in the pros and let Russ cook the old phrase. Well, I think we're finding out now that it wasn't that he was unwilling to adapt. It's not that he's unwilling to throw the ball. He was playing to Russell Wilson's strengths. Now, he does believe that there's got to be balance and you got to run it, et cetera. Those are all important things to him, just as they are to Kyle Shanahan and some other folks in the league as well. But I think I'm learning more and more that Pete has it. And and the folks that wrote him off over the last year, I think there's a lot of people that owe Pete an apology. Pete didn't write back. He didn't. I know. It was a great <laughs> line, you know, but really good. But, but, you know, Pete, Pete's admitted to us a few times that, you know, he heard it. He heard all the noise. He heard that people called him old and stodgy, et cetera. And I think he's proving that that's not the case. There's nothing worse to me than when a coach or an athlete's like, I don't listen to all that outside noise. Oh, please. Like, dude, right. come on, man. I like, when, they admit it. I like when people just straight up admit it. Like, 100%. It's so much Bobby fun. Wagner's a guy like that. He's like, yeah, I heard what you said. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's talk about it, right? I always have a ton of respect for him for all of that stuff. Like, yeah, of course you heard it. Okay. Now every athlete ever has always said, well, I didn't read it or hear it myself. My, my friends told me about it, yeah. but they have to do like, that. It's just, sure. uh, it's like, they have to keep the higher ground. <laughs> Their friend told them. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you real quick before we get out of here. If you're here for 49ers Seahawks stuff, you can, you can go now. Um, what's the vibe with the Mariners right now? Is the vibe well, still good? A, because the vibes are great in the postseason. That's a great question. And it is very, uh, the answer depends on who you ask. Mm. Um, The Mariners had an unbelievable season. They finally broke this awful drought, decade long, two decades long drought rather. And everyone was excited. And then there was an expectation, I think, amongst a huge part of the fan base, that they would now start spending money hand over fist. And that's not happening. They Mm. are not doing that. They didn't really, you know, compete for Trey Turner or Bogarts or Aaron Judge, et cetera. And they're not going to. They are going to continue to try to get better, but they're not going to try to spend a ton of money over long periods of time because they see what's coming. They've got a young nucleus with Kirby and uh, Gilbert and some of these other Raleigh, some of these other young guys that they know they're going to spend money on into the future. They've already spent on Julio. They signed Luis Castillo to a long extension. They signed Crawford to an extension. They've got a lot of money sort of spent into the future 
But that's a hard thing to explain to a fan base that says, well, but why are you 17th in payroll? Mm-hmm. And they say, well, because some of the young guys are young and we're willing to take on short-term contracts, but we're not going to take on these long ones because while it might help a little bit short-term, it's going to kill us. And we don't want to do that. Plus we don't want, you know, a third, a 41 year old speed guy in Trey Turner. We want right. shorter deals. And so I think they've actually been really smart. They go out, they trade for Teoscar Hernandez, who's a really good hitter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they get him for peanuts, they didn't give up that much to get him. They gave up a reliever and a fringe prospect. Right. But they get back a guy who, if they had signed in the offseason as a free agent, is probably a four-year, $80 million guy. I did some right. digging. That's probably what he gets. And I honestly think that if Mariners fans had – watched them sign Teoscar Hernandez for four years, 80 million, they'd be excited, but right. because they traded for him and didn't, you know, don't have to sign him to that big deal. Right. They're upset about it and feel like the, the, the organization isn't doing everything they can to win. I, I disagree. And I, and I think the, the fan base is split. I'm finding myself frustrated because I feel like they're finally good. They're finally doing things the right way. They're finally showing patience and these fans that were finally rewarded after all of these lean years are now more mad than they've ever been. And maybe oh. that just comes with being a baseball fan in the off season, but it, it's, it's almost a bummer. And I, I will admit to having lost my patience on the air talking about it today, because <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm so frustrated by this idea that the only way you can show that you want to win is to spend money. Mm-hmm. That is one way to do it, but the Mets haven't won Jack squat yet. The, the, the Padres, for all the money they've spent and everything they've done, they haven't won jack squat. And in fact, the Mariners finished with a better record than the Padres did last year and beat them three out of four. Right. So I'm, 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 I'm pretty hesitant to start criticizing. And while I do understand, like, this fan base watched this organization flounder for 20 years, I think they're doing things the right way finally. And look, they got that guy in Julio. And they got Luis Castillo, who I think is one of the true aces in Major League yeah, Baseball. No start. doubt, that's the big deal. Is like paying Julio, like that's step. That's step. Uh, trust me, A's fan. It's huge. Step one. Step one. That's is right. Paying your guys. So, yeah, how, as an A's fan, isn't that the most frustrating part? It's not that your team isn't spending two hundred million a year. It's that you're losing the homegrown guys you've developed. It's that they're trading Sean Murphy so they don't have to go to arbitration with him. Right. Like that. <laughs> Come and on, I would man. imagine if you're as an ace fan that you say, look, I don't expect the ace to be in the Aaron Judge sweepstakes ever. Right. I, I, I understand that they don't have the resources for this, that and the other to do that. I think that's a bummer, but OK, I don't expect them to do that. I don't expect them to sign Trey Turner or Xander Bogarts, but I absolutely expect them to keep the good players that they've signed and developed. And when they don't, that's a killer. And I think that's the decision the Mariners are making now saying, look, we'll sign Julio. We want to sign Kirby and Gilbert and Raleigh, et cetera. And if it means that we don't get involved with Trey Turner in his thirties, that's okay because we don't want to lose the core nucleus of this team. We don't want to be that guy. Right. And that's so much better as a fan base too. Like you would think like that's, that's like, the Warriors titles, Suns, Kevin Durant were undeniably better than the ones with him. That's so funny. And that's like interesting. Their yeah, that makes sense, right? Because he yeah. felt like a hired gun. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. And it was great. Like, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it, it that's that's the vibe. Like if 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 the Mariners win a title with Julio as the guy, yeah, and not Aaron Judge or Trey Turner or whoever. Um it's just better that way. I have this theory and it's a, it's a lousy one. And a lot of people disagree with it, but you know, I grew up in Boston, the 04 Red Sox win the world series. And it's one of the greatest moments of any Boston sports fans life after, you know, all the years of torture, but there is a part of me that wishes it was the 03 team that had won instead of the 04 team, because that did include Nomar Garcia Parra and some more of that mm. homegrown element rather than feeling like Kurt Schilling came in as a higher gun and some other folks, it felt like that was the group that needed to get it done. And a lot of them still did. And it, it's sort of a half cop theory, but I just think, yeah, there is something to watching your guy grow up and, and having that love affair versus feeling a little disconnected from, you know, a free agent that has come in because you've offered them the most money. Well, and even with o- like, even with Oakland, there's no obviously titles. I haven't, they haven't won one. I was born in 90, so I haven't won one in my life, but when it's 
hey, random Brandon Moss and um, okay, they bring in Josh Reddick in a trade and like yep. it's not it's never like that like you get attached to that group for the three years that they're here, but it's never you know oh Matt Olson's been with the organization forever and they signed him and Matt Chapman's been with the organization. Yep. Marcus Simeon wanted to be here, and they offered him a year and ten million. I think it was one in ten and pay it out over ten years. Like that's an all star caliber, MVP caliber player that wants to play for your organization. Yeah. I mean, it's such a bummer. I mean, Olsen, this should have been a fun Mariner A's rivalry here over the last few years, right? With Chapman and and the pitching, you know, Manea, et cetera. I know you know all the names and Olsen and everybody else. I mean, this could have shaped up to be a really interesting Mariner A's rivalry with the Astros, obviously a part of it as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would have been really fun. And it's a shame, you know, it's funny you say you were born in 1990. I was at the Red Sox A's uh, uh, playoff game in 1990. So I guess I'm showing my age a little (laughs) bit. Dave Stewart and Storm Davis. So it's funny funny you say that. Dave Stewart, on the day I was born, August 15th, 1990, Pitched against the Red Sox, went all 10 innings, and Mark McGuire hit a walk-off grand slam. That sounds right. Dave Stewart shoved every time he pitched <laughs> against incredible. the Red Sox. Yeah. And Clemens would just totally turtle every time he pitched against the A's. In those oh, days. no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's too bad. And, and, you know, look, hey, we talk about those ways to build a team. Look at the Astros. Tell me about all the big free agent acquisitions the Astros have made during this run it's basically none. I mean, it's Michael Brantley. I think they signed as a free yeah, agent. But he was a good player. I don't want to mock Michael him. Brantley. Yeah, but he wasn't. He wasn't like a star caliber player no. when they got him. It's a three. He's like you know a three year, thirty five million dollar deal kind of guy, right. right? I mean, the players that have been that have keyed this run were either drafted by the by the Astros, international free agent signings, so you know came up in their organization, or were parts of trades. Verlander was traded for. Cole was traded for. Um, Jordan Alvarez, they traded for, they signed, you know, uh, they drafted Bregman, they drafted Springer. I mean, they've done, they drafted Tucker. They did an incredible job of it being, as Jerry DePoto says, a draft, develop and trade organization. They're the model of that right now. The Braves are too, right? I mean, those are a couple of organizations that have done a really good job at, at that style. That's not to say you can't add to it with other free agents and i think the mariners very well may mm-hmm. but this idea of you know spend more money or else you don't care about winning I, I don't think that's fair to put on this organization right now yeah and i think that comes into play if they were shopping julio rodriguez instead of right. paying them. like that's where that that comes in I'm, I'm right there with you uh mike really appreciate it don't want to take up any more of your time always uh, super looking forward to this game on thursday night and uh enjoy it man thanks buddy appreciate it Thanks. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.